Good morning, everyone. We're here today to study from Romans 8 the assurance that God gives us who trust in him alone. So that's our topic. And we also have the Lord's Supper. As we begin here, I also want to commend to you the teaching that we received in Sunday school from Eric that really laid out the significance of the Lord's Supper. And we'll get that uploaded. And uh, if you want to learn more about it, it's worth hearing. And I want to give that commendation to Eric for that great teaching. Today we're studying Romans, <coughs> excuse me, Today we're studying Romans 8, 28 to 39, and I'm going to begin with Romans 5, 1 and 2, and look at the ground for the hope of everyone who's trusting in Jesus Christ alone, so that we know what those promises are that we rely on and trust in for God to bring us to glory. Excuse me. Romans, I'm going to get this right. Romans 5, 1 and 2 from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult, exult, in hope of the glory of God. And today, I'm going to preach the gospel to you on the first slide, because the rest of the sermon is based on the hope of believers. And so some may be hearing this, whether you're here or you're hearing it online later or live, I want you to know what that hope is. First of all, it says, Uh, We have been justified by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What does this word peace mean? And you probably wouldn't be surprised, but many get it wrong in this context. Many take peace to mean inner tranquility. In other words, a peaceful state of mind, a nice, warm feeling and happiness, and so on. But that's not what it means in this context. Peace in the context, which we see in Romans 5, 8 through 10, which I'll read to you, is that we were God's enemies, and because of what Christ did, by faith we're reconciled. It's the reconciliation of previous enemies. So let me read that. If you have a Bible or Uh, Otherwise, listen as I read Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
reconciliation with God through the Lord Jesus Christ is only true if we trust Christ alone as Lord and Savior. Who is Jesus Christ, the very creator of the universe? The one who, as the triune God of the Bible, created the whole world out of nothing. John 1 tells us that all things were created by him and that he came into our world. And there's a distinction between the creator and the creation. The creator is eternal, non-contingent, all-powerful, and brought everything into existence by his decree to create. Now, there was a fall. There's the sinners in the world. We rebelled against God. We're sinful by being alienated from God, by being in Adam, and we're also, also sinful by the wicked deeds we have done. How is it that we can have peace with God? So many people misunderstand this and go to Eastern religion or meditative states looking for peace. But if we're enemies with God, whatever peace we have is a grand delusion. And that's, in this context, justification by faith is what gives us peace with God. We were his enemies. A lot of people don't believe that or know that. Oh, God is okay. The good Lord doesn't bother me any. I'm okay with religion. A lot of people have different ideas. That's not correct. God is who he says he is. Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. The sinless one, the virgin-born son of God, lived a sinless life, died for sins, and was raised on the third day. He bodily ascended to heaven. We'll see that in Romans 8. He intercedes for us, and those who do not know him are still facing the wrath of God against sin. So before I preach the rest of the verses, we need to know we're right with God because Romans isn't telling us everything's going to work out. It's telling us that God will get his people who trusted him or redeemed all the way to glory. Today, if you have not, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him alone. Salvation is by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what the Lord commands us to do. That being said, now let's look at the hope of glory, which applies to those who know him. And there we turn to Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we'll go before that a little bit and on. Conform to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those who be foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Eric's Sunday school this morning is pertinent to a lot of this. The firstborn, the preeminent one, the true son, 
the sinless one, the Savior, is the one who is preeminent and unique. Many of the teachings that people hear diminish the person and work of Christ. We've been doing some Critical Issues podcasts on that. Many would say that if we have too much hope in the sovereignty of God, in the purposes of God, we won't do our part. But this isn't about us doing our part. It's what God has done that we could never do and what he's provided for those who trust in him. We do not want to ever detract or blaspheme or diminish the glory that is his by nature. We don't want to tell people effectively he must decrease so we can increase. No, he is the preeminent firstborn. So what is it that God has promised to those whose hope is only in God in Christ? It's that ultimately we will be conformed to the image of his son. The hope of glory is this, not that everything will work out in a nice way in this life, everything will be fine. No, we have eternal hope of the glory of God. I have a statement I prepared to make here. This does not mean make everything work out nicely in this life or cause everything to be pleasant and desirable for believers, but unhappy and miserable for everyone else. It doesn't mean that. It means that God's revealed purpose is to conform believers to the image of Christ. This applies to all who by grace alone are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, as taught in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. There's the five solas. God's revealed purpose is to conform all who are his to the image of the Son. God's providential working in salvation history is to this end. Now, the first of the five in what's called the golden chain, chain, chain argument, foreknew. It's in the same tense, foreknew. Foreknew doesn't mean that God looked forward and saw that somebody uh, is going to show up and do certain things. The, the word knowledge in this context is relational knowledge. And foreknew can mean have a relationship with in a saving way. And so know here is relational and not information about facts about what will happen. Now, the reason I'm preaching on this today is that over the many years that I've taught this in various places, the people who tend to uh, object to it or be confused or dismayed by this teaching are evangelical Christians. I've experienced that over and over. And the reason this is so important is that this is not here to make it look like for the human wisdom that God's doing things the way we think he ought to. It's here to give promises of hope and comfort to those who know God. And one of the examples I think of is 
a, a friend who's now with the Lord in glory had me come and teach Romans 1, 1 through 8. One time Diane went with me when we did that, and I taught through Romans 8, 1 through 8, over a week in a little Bible, in a Bible class as part of a bigger program. Went to Arkansas, taught it there a couple different times. After the class, typically, there will be Christian students who went to go to the class come to me after we get through Romans 8, 1 through 8, the whole chapter, the whole part of Romans through chapter 8. They said, well, we never heard this. What are you telling us? Where did this come from? We never heard this before. And I remember Diane and I sitting, uh, it was in Hawaii, and they were, well, what about, where did this come from? And I said, well, I realize that most Christians don't like this. That's pretty typical. I'm telling you what the scripture says, and if that bothers you, I'm not here to make your life worse. I want you to know. And they said, well, no, we're not mad, but how can this be? How can it be? Well, how can anything that God does in salvation history be if God didn't do it through his power and grace and providence? How could it be that Joseph was sold out by his brothers, lied about by Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail, mistreated, hated, abused, lied about, ended up in Egypt, and in the end, in Genesis 50, in verse 20, he said, don't be angry about with yourselves about this. God sent me ahead of you to bring blessing. That's the doctrine of providence. Let me read this one. Acts 2, 23. This man, talking about Christ, delivered up, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to, the de- to death. Here, Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, is telling them who Jesus is, that God sent him to die for sins, and they're guilty for having hated him and rejected him. The acts that were done to uh, Joseph were evil, but God planned it. What happened in, throughout history includes many evil acts. It does not, excuse me, this does not make God uh, guilty for doing evil. He's the sovereign one. He does good and what's right. The purpose is to bring salvation. So look at Acts 2.23 when you get time to think about this. And I really am so glad that the Sunday school was what it what Eric taught this morning, because it fits with this, and we're having communion. We're not here to say, wow, look at us, we're God's elect, because we were born in America. No, that doesn't mean you're God's elect. Uh, we are a certain type of people, or we, we went to a certain church, or we were baptized as babies. No, that doesn't, none of that is what it's about. Eric pointed out Seth. Why would a dead dog like me be part of this? Why would God allow wicked sinners like me to be part of his people? And having trusted in him by his grace, we need assurance that it's not all going to fall apart. 
So this foreknew is a relational knowledge. It says in Acts 2.23 that this was the, the work of God on the cross through Christ was part of the foreknowledge of God. It can't mean he knew somebody by the name of Jesus would show up. This was an eternal plan. Now, let's go to verse 30 as we continue on this, what's called the golden chain in church history. Here, Paul is describing the same group of people. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the tense in the Greek for all of these, including for new, is the same. Aorist, active, indicative, third-person singular. They're all the same tense. Now, why would it be in the past when even at the time as Paul wrote this, many of us didn't even, weren't even born? There are many more that are still coming to faith. The reason it's in the past is that this is what we would call a proleptic aorist. And many theologians have pointed that out. Proleptic means stated because of its certainty in the past, though it certainly must and will happen. God will bring us to glory. And a little story about that. I mentioned to Eric this morning uh, before he started teaching. One of the things that ironically linked Eric and I together was a man by the name of Leron Schultz who first taught his first class while I was getting toward graduation. And I was in his class and it was on logic. Well, it turns out that he was some sort of philosopher but logic is a neutral topic. So I'm in his class on logic, and he's talking about lo- how words relate to each other and concepts and whatever. And this is a chain argument. And logically, what's applied to the foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, applies to all. If one thing's not true, the whole chain's broken, and it's false. So I went to his office. I don't know anything about him other than he was teaching logic. And I said, this looks like what we saw in logic as a chain argument. And he said, yes, this is a chain argument. What's predicated of each one is true of the whole group. Thank you. Turns out he didn't believe the Bible at all. He's a philosopher, but he knew logic. Now, the connection with Eric was he ended up in years later in seminary, five or six, whatever it was, under Leron Schultz who was teaching some sort of pantheism or panentheism emergent. He didn't believe it, and he was an atheist. But the the objective truth is that we who are in Christ are safe. So it's not helpful to tell people, you can't believe the Bible because we don't like it. The whole point of emergent is we don't like it. We don't like that everybody isn't saved. We don't like that there, 
the idea of a hell. We don't like the idea that God's in charge of his own universe. We don't like the idea that God created the universe out of nothing. We like panentheism. God is in everything, and we're evolving. The whole universe is God with some sort of distinction evolving into some glorious future. Nobody is going to be excluded. So that's what we ran into. Here's what I'm running into today from people that maybe I haven't seen for a long time, in some cases decades. People call me and say, my life is so, it just fell apart. I almost died. I don't, I was sleeping in my car, things like that. And I said, read Romans 8, 26 to 39. And you know the answer that comes back? What's the point of that? What good is that? I don't like it. I debated a guy by the name of Greg Boyd, not because I was supposed to, but because the person they had chosen dropped out and they were stuck with me. And so he is one who also doesn't like it and said, had a teaching called open theism. God doesn't know what's going to happen, therefore he's off the hook. And so we had the debate, laid things out there, And the result at the end of the debate, because we just showed what the scripture said, there was all these people, there was a thousand people there and all these people standing in line and they looked like they'd seen something they never saw before, like the students in Hawaii. How can this be? How can this be? How can this be? Nobody had ever told them what the Bible says. They were looking for a philosophy that would say it's all going to be nice and everything's going to be pleasant or we're masters of our own destiny. So they took uh, questions and one question was directed to me. Some were directed to Greg Boyd. And they said, if this is true, what you what? And all I did was just showed what the scripture says. How can we have assurance? And having you know, I didn't know what the question was going to be. I said, why would you have more assurance based on your willingness to make certain decisions than you'd have in God's promises to bring you to glory? And there was like a hush or a what? what? I don't think they thought of that. If I have more confidence in pushing the right buttons, hearing the right teaching, doing this, doing that, doing the other thing, and that will all work out, that God's promise to bring us to glory because all things are his and they're designed to conform us to the image of Christ. And I will say this with certainty based on scripture. Questions, I'll be here teaching Sunday school next week. Go ahead and bring questions. If we're not comforted by the hope that God gives us, that he will bring us all the way to glory, then we really don't believe the Bible. We can't hope in man. We can't create a God after our image who's doing things the way we think he ought to do them. Now, this is what we need to learn from this. Now, this doesn't mean here when it says the called 
the justified, the glorified, call is used in two ways in the Bible. The universal call is still true. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we beg you, be reconciled to God. And no one who comes will be excluded. But those who come by God's grace have responded, not by their merit, not by their superior decision-making abilities, but by the grace of God. So it's correct to say the universal call, sometimes called the external call, goes to all. The effectual call or the inner call smites us to the heart. It did me. And if you want to look at examples in the Bible, the examples in the Bible are counter what Greg Boyd was teaching. Did Abraham, or before Abram, well, I'm sick of her of the Chaldees. Maybe some other God will come along and call me somewhere. Didn't happen that way. How about Saul of Tarsus, breathing out uh, threats of slaughter against the Lord? I think maybe I should be one of these Christians. No, that's a counterexample. My life is a counterexample. I was an enemy. In fact, it says in Romans 5, we're all enemies. That we're willing to serve him is by his grace alone, not by our intellect, our human wisdom, our superior decision-making abilities. And so I can't preach what I don't believe and I know is not biblical. So the, some will say, well, then the universal calls a sham. No, it's not. Jesus said it. Can Jesus lie? The one who comes, I'll no way cast out. If you come to Christ, he's not going to say, well, you're not one of the let go away. He will keep us. 31 and 32. Paul has some rhetorical questions here. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? Look at what it says. If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What's the answer to the question? I, I, I made it easy. Put it on the slide. Yes, he will. What are these all things? The things promised. In the context, what's promised is that he'll conform us to the image of Christ. And if we don't want to be conformed to the image of Christ, we'd rather be like the world, and we'd rather have human wisdom, and we'd rather have psychology, seeker, uh, prosperity gospel, all these other things that are out there, then once the truth is preached, we won't even want to hear it. We'll just leave. But some, like me, I tried doing things by skipping around and only listening to the verses that sounded good, but it wasn't right. One false teacher after another led us down some path that didn't work out. The only thing left to do was to teach the Bible verse by verse by verse. The false teachers always skip, skip here, skip there, skip here, skip there, And when you have to face the one you never heard, like in that debate, people are stunned. 
I never knew the Bible even said that. What was that verse that I at the debate I quoted this? He chose us from the beginning for salvation. And um, I just laid it out there. Greg Boyd, two PhDs, 14 books. Me fill in because somebody else with similar credentials to Boyd was there. I just put the Bible up and explained it. What's the other answer? Does God lie when he says that, but he doesn't really mean it? God cannot lie. We know that. What about me? What about you? The promises of God to his own will not be thwarted. God is offering comfort, hope, the hope of glory. The fact that all things are his, this is the doctrine of providence, to bring forth his plan of salvation. The fact is that left to ourselves, we would hate hearing about this. And many do, because we don't want to believe grace, faith, scripture, Christ, the, the glory of God, and so on in our sinful ways. I have a statement to share about this one as well. These things, notice, these things, what shall we say to these things? These things references, references the blessings described by Paul starting in Romans 5, 1 and 2, about justification and the hope of glory. That's why I shared that verse first and shared the gospel first. Here's another part of the prepared statement I put in my notes. Many are against believers. The, 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 the whole evil world, the whole evil world is against God's purposes. None of these things will prevail. And we'll get to that in the next slide. He's not saying no one's against us, but the whole world is against us. Satan's against us. Evil spirits are against us. But God delivered us. What we're delivered from is the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus. Delivered from wrath, having peace with God, whatever is against us, can't change that. And whatever's happening, we know is designed to conform us to the image of Christ and the fulfillment is in eternity. And I know the people that don't like this. Well, you're just doing a cop-out because you can't solve your own problems. No, the promise of eternal life isn't a cop-out. It's glorious. It doesn't depend on who we are, where we were, what we did, how smart we are, how good we were, because we were all sinners. It depends on God who shows mercy. And there's why, also, why argue against hope and comfort? God says, this is the hope. This is the comfort. And some believers say, I'd rather have free will. Well, I had free will. And it led me to be an enemy of Christ. I have free will now, but it's not that free. The freedom comes, the glorious uh, revealing of the sons of God. We make choices. This is, God's not going to uh, say, well, you didn't make the right choice. Now it's all going to be 
a big monkey wrench in the gears and it won't work. God will get us to the right place at the right time. I decide when to get up, where to, well, no, I guess I don't. I get up because I wake up and I wish I'd slept longer. But we decide what car to buy and what to go. We enjoy that. But this is about being conformed to the image of Christ. All things, all things. Now let's point out the promise he will freely give us all things which he has promised, including being conformed to the image of Christ. Let's go to verses 33 and 34. Here is a continuation of Paul's list and some rhetorical questions. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, we know that Satan's the accuser of the brethren, but who's got the highest court? God. Who's presiding at the final judgment? God. And the accuser of the brethren not cast down by us, but at the end. God is the one who justifies. Who, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, earlier, I have a reference here uh, as a point on the slide. Romans eight twenty eight says, the Holy Spirit intercedes seeds for us, as does Romans 8.26. Think about this. God called us. We have a relationship with God through Christ by faith, not by our own works. We're safe. God is at work to bring us to glory. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. There, Here it says that Christ intercedes for us. We're doing a series now uh, by a, about a book on intercession on our Critical Issues Commentary podcast and YouTube about intercession where this teacher says, no, we got to tell God how to do it or it won't work out. So it's not, a, we can't expect that inter, Holy Spirit interceding for us, Christ interceding for us, God promising to conform us to the image of Christ, God bringing us to glory. No, 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 no. you got to get a revelation, invite yourself to the throne room, and then tell God how it should go. Do you know that more people believe that than believe what we're seeing here in the Bible? Hundreds of thousands, yes, millions, believe that they've got to do it right and... They make themselves as the example of somebody who did. I, God told me that this and this and this. So I went there and I told him, here, God. And then he hears all these revelations. No. Who do you want interceding for you? The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God, who hears us and gives us grace and timely help, or somebody to tell you, if you do it this way, you'll get the outcome you're looking for which, by the way, doesn't happen most of the time. Jesus Christ, who accomplished our justification, who made us right with God through his blood, reconciled us to God. We have peace with God. He intercedes for us, and we will be brought to glory if we're trusting in him. This does not in one way alleviate 
human responsibility. No one will ever be able to say, well, what else can I do? Uh, that comes up in Romans 9, by the way. Paul anticipates that. You will say that, well, who resists his will? So I'm off the hook. Won't work that way. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. The right hand of God is an allusion to Psalm 110 and verse 1. Let me quickly quote Romans 8, 26 and 27, which was before we got to where we started today. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we would. But the Spirit himself, God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, intercedes for us with groanings to deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God knows how to get us and get you to the right place at the right time and to preserve you and use you and equip you and get you all the way to glory. Conform to the image of Christ. And don't believe the false teachers that say, you've got to get a revelation from God and tell him what to do. That is false. That is hopeless. That is something that's a dead end. It's, it's actually blasphemous because it's saying God isn't acting to bring glory to his own name by conforming a people to his own image. He's waiting for us to get some secret and tell him what to do or give away enough money or cast out enough demons or do some great thing. No, we need to believe in Christ. Why? Why is this here in the Bible? No one says it's not in the Bible, but I've heard people say, I don't like it. Frankly, that came up in the debate with Greg Boyd. Well, what do you say to this verse? I don't like it. I don't like this. Well, okay, but what's wrong with it? I, uh, we just don't like what it says. In fact, it was ironic they ended up in a debate because I had heard the same teacher on the radio preaching a sermon railing against Romans 8.28 saying he didn't claim the verse wasn't in the Bible, but us weak-minded, weak-willed, pathetic Christians use it for a crutch. I don't want to hear any more about Romans 8.28. That's what he was saying on the radio. So... Uh, is this a crutch or is this the promise of God to comfort us? Which is it? It's the promise of God. This is the right hand of God promise that Jesus intercedes for us is throughout the New Testament. Romans eight thirty five through 37. Here's again rhetorical questions. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death, to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Then Paul, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us overwhelmingly conquer and 
How many people have said to me over since the late 80s when I started teaching through Romans, well, then you're just saying we're robots. Have you, have you heard that? Does Paul, I don't think they had robots when Paul wrote this. This is not alleviating personality, gifts, God using us, us making decisions. What we're being comforted about is the fact that God is keeping us. We're not going to fall short and land somewhere bad because we didn't do everything just right. Somehow the very uh, eloquent preachers who claim things, they don't ever seem to have problems until they do. Now, loved is also aorist active. It's a participle, having loved us. Conquer, huper, nikao means hyper-conquer. We don't throw up our hands in defeat and say, well, you know, fate, the will of Allah, some religions would say. No, we believe the promises of God. One of the teachers we're looking at as we're doing these podcasts is uh, suggesting that we've got to get revelations or are just not going to happen. But the only revelations that's trustworthy is Scripture alone. Now, we have a secure hope. Here is Paul's statement, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The word for able is dunamis, dunamai, able, will have the power to separate us. Now those, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Well, it doesn't say our own selves. And why would you even think of that? Why would I think, well, maybe I can be an apostate and then I won't be glorified. No, I don't. Yeah, well, we know that there's Judases in the world and that there's Simon the sorcerer in the world. But this is comfort. Why claim the right to apostatize when God is promising he'll keep us? I don't, I don't understand. Why? would people be so angry when God offers hope and comfort? But I don't say this to shame anyone because I used to think the same way. Here is something I think I must say. If God offers you the one trusting Jesus Christ by grace through faith, hope and comfort, take it. Believe it. Why wouldn't you? I have to say this. Emergent church, seeker church, liberalism, all of these things that are out there exist because they don't like 
exactly what God said. And if we don't like the comfort that he hope, the hope that he gives us because we don't think it's fair, it isn't about fair, it's about just. God is just. Jesus Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust. I don't want fair. I want forgiveness of sins. That's what the Lord's Supper is about, forgiveness that God has given us. As we're studying in 1 Corinthians 3, the last verses that we looked at, so then let no one boast in man, Paul said, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, 322, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. That's last week's sermon. The link here is obvious. Same kind of, only shorter list, same things. Do you need to know which demon is doing what to have hope and security? No, because we don't know that anyhow. Do you need to know the mind of God beyond what's taught in Scripture? No, you don't. What, but what we need is to believe the promises of God. Now, just one uh, page, of, there's two verses, or several verses, but two applications. God offers comfort and hope through his promises. One thing we noticed about this book on intercession, a lot of them, even by people who are otherwise orthodox, the assumption is that if we are serious enough and fervent enough and shout loud enough and keep it up long enough, then God will hear us. Okay? Honestly, the miracle is that evangelicals as a whole just don't go back to Rome. You can join a monastery. You can have somebody whip you. You can hang yourself on a wall of granite, let the... Let all the heat get sucked out of your body. I got to do something. I say, he intercedes for us. Take your claims and needs to the throne of grace. Let him take care of you. Well, maybe I wasn't fervent enough. If our hope is in our own piety, motivation, intelligence, mystical abilities, fervency, how long we pray, how loud we pray, how we do it, what technique we use, how much we gave away, how, how much we did, we will end up, if we get old enough, in despair. We mentioned that on our recording, I, I believe yesterday, we were doing some recording. How many dear, beloved, godly saints have I seen after we left a group that was based on pietism, some of the people that I that were there that served and loved God's people selfishly, selflessly on their deathbed were saying, what did I do wrong? The pastor and I was assistant pastor, we visited people, elderly in their 90s. What did I do wrong? Why is this happening? And we'd said to a couple that we called Grandma, Grandma, 
You've been serving God. You've been trusting God. What makes you think you did something wrong? Well, then why am I here? When saints suffer, they should be assured that God will keep his promises. If we look at ourselves, we'll see many things we've done wrong. If we've been given false teaching, we'll think, I must have done something wrong. I didn't get the right revelation to tell Jesus how he should intercede in the throne room of God for me. We just bring our needs. We know what they are. Dear ones, don't believe doctrines that make life hopeless for Christians. If you're trusting Christ, God gave these promises to comfort you. Comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We honor God when we trust him alone. One slide left here. One I had taped under my notes last week because I woke up thinking of it. Now you can see it better. Um, honoring God. Romans fifteen four. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. What is our hope? How many people, has anybody lately tried to just stop into a gas station to get something that you need, like whether it was a newspaper or a loaf of bread? You don't even try to go because they were lined up. Oh, there's a billion dollars. Somebody's going to win the lottery. A billion dollars. Lines. I didn't even go because I didn't want to stand in line. So what if you won a billion dollars, Bill, or whatever it is? Would you have more hope? The hope is eternal. What is our hope? Let's get that in our hearts and minds. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Finally, the number came to somebody I thought, good, I can go to the gas station again and get whatever it was. If you need some milk, now you don't have to stand a long line. Dear ones, our hope is in the promises of God, the finished work of Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture. We need to remember where we came from so we can thank God for what he's done for us and believe the promises of where we're going. It says in Ephesians 2.12, remember, we're going to have communion today. It's about remembering. Remember, Ephesians 2.12, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now it's all of us. I had no hope. I believed I did. I was young. I was in college. I thought I had a bright future, 20 years old. Finally figured out how to study enough to survive Iowa State. But I, in fact, had no hope. And God apprehended me. Dear saints, if you're trusting Jesus alone, you have hope. God cannot lie. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. Christ intercedes for you. 
You can go to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. He hears us. He brings timely help. The help we need is not found in the lottery. It's found in the promises of God. Now, look at this psalm as we close here. Psalm, we're going to have communion today. Psalm 50, verse 15. I mentioned it last week. Call on me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. How can we honor God? Is there anybody that deserves to be honored more than God, who's the one who is who's perfect in all of his ways? We honor God when we call on him in our time of trouble and not listen to some TV preacher who says, do it this way or that way. Call on the Lord. In the context of Psalm fifty fifteen. We had the idea of formalism. If you look at the context, it's as if God needs man rather than humbling oneself and calling on God. God doesn't care how willing we are to give everything up and beat our heads against the wall or try this or try that. It'll all fall short. Call on the Lord. He loves you. He cares for you. He will bring you all the way to glory. In the meantime, we're here to care for one another. Today, we're going to have communion. So as we come to the end of the sermon here, first, I want to pray. And maybe today you're someone who just now heard the need to be justified through the blood of Jesus and turned to him. That's why we started with the gospel. Even if just now, today, you trust in Christ alone, you're part of the family of God. And the Lord suffers for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your goodness, and your mercy. And though these things that you've promised may seem offensive to human reason, we know that they're your precious promises for us and that you're holy and righteous. May we call on you for our own needs and those of others around us and for our families and ask you, and we know that your promise is to rescue us and bring honor to your own name. And as we think about what you've done for us, pray that we would honor you by how we treat one another at your table as we were taught in Sunday school. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers are preparing here and um, uh, people in the music ministry will uh, also be receiving communion, let me give you the words of institution. And again, Eric taught on these in Sunday school. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why would any of us be part of this supper? The blood of Jesus has washed away our sins because we're trusting him. What can take away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Reconciled enemies. That's what we are. Reconciled enemies if we're trusting Christ. The way this, we do this at Gospel of Grace Fellowship, we invite all who are trusting Christ to partake. And as we come forward, we have the, the grape juice and the pieces of bread and come and partake. But first we'll have the music ministry and those that will be doing that come and then the ushers will release you by row. <laughs>